Bow with me. Father, we're about to enter your word. Your powerful word, your holy word. Your word that is designed to change us from who we are into something else. Something entirely something else, Father. We sang that uh, you are the light. We pray, Father, that you would shine that light into the dark recesses of our, our thinking, of our thoughts, of our hearts, Father. And you'd breathe your truth in there. And you'd change us for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. I uh, came across an intriguing story about uh, a museum in Croatia's capital city, uh, Zagreb. It's uh, called the Museum of Broken Relationships. Isn't that an interesting name? Uh, It's the product of two Zagreb artists uh, and the end of their four-year romantic relationship. After it was over, the pair talked about all of the items that they had exchanged during those four years and the the messages and the, the, the memories they carried. At first, it was... Uh, They talked about it tongue-in-cheek, but finally it came together and other artists heard about it, other artists in Zagreb. And uh, they wanted to be a part of it, and soon there were a thousand items. You can get on the internet and look it up if you want to. The Museum of Broken Relationships. A thousand items, each with their own story. uh, One of the founders... uh, Drazen Grubisic said, uh, we might say it's a museum of love just upside down. Their collection includes uh, a shiny axe used to splinter the furniture of an ex-loved one, one item per day. I don't know how long it took, but one item per day, they, they strung it out. And then there's a uh, partially broken lawn gnome that was hurled at the car of a departing husband. And a wooden box made out of matchstick frames. It's around a little picture of a couple named Jelka and Valdo. Valdo made it for his wife, Jelka, on their wedding day. The description on that picture frame says, after 18 years of marriage, he left me for another woman. We officially divorced after our 25th wedding anniversary. I still have the box, two sons, and lots of memories. We've talked quite extensively about uh, love in this study of 1 John. We've looked at it from various directions. 
what it is, what it's supposed to do, how it's supposed to work. John begins this section with the statement, God is love. Now, I would doubt there's a, uh, any more universal statement about, about God than this, about our understanding of God. God is love. It seems so totally self-evident. But let me ask you, if this is true, Why then does John dwell so consistently on the subject of love in this short letter? If our understanding of God's love is, is so universal, such a, such a given truth, why has John invested so much time on it? Evidently, there's something we've missed in our processing of love, what it is and how it works and how it applies to life. Evidently, there's something we don't quite get. As you process what John has done in this letter, you discover that love is tangible. It has purpose. It, it has meaning. It's, it's based on something other than our individual delights. God's love is tangible. And as such, it has relevance. Now, what am I talking about when I say God's love is tangible, that it, that it has relevance? Well, the first thing about God's love is that it gives us confidence. Uh, it, its relevance is, is found in the fact that it gives us confidence. Confidence here and now as we tread the, the, dust, the, the, the dusty trails that we travel in our lives here and now, and uh, confidence for, for the halls of heaven. Confidence for here and now, and confidence for there and then. Look at verse 17, but let's begin back at uh, verse 16 in the middle of that sentence. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By the way, so often we read over Scripture. We don't, we don't really think about what it's saying and, and, and the message that it has for us. This, this, that, just that one little bit right there is, makes a profound theological statement. When we love, God lives in us. He, he lives through us. Verse 17, by this love, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have, and here's my point, confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Confidence, what a, what a great word, what a, what a great thought. You want a few other words to kind of tack to it or to help you define what it means. How about security? How about assurance? How about certainty? God's love fills us with confidence, with, with security, with, with assurance, with certainty. Why? 
because God is in our lives. That's that, that text I said was such a powerhouse text because God is in our lives. The eternal God of heaven and earth is right down here in you and me. You want something tangible? You want something to, to, to grab onto? You want love that's tangible, not something moving and changing and vaporous and, and misty and emotional, not some abstract, not love as the world defines it. We're talking about tangible. We're talking about substantial. God's love gives us peace with ourselves and peace with our surroundings. Think this through. Because everything is so peaceful. I see some people chuckling out there or smiling. What's been going on in your life? Because everything's so peaceful? Because everything is so wonderful, so pleasant? Maybe not at all, huh? Things can be a shambles all around us, and still we can be at peace because we are in the sovereign hands of God. We have peace, not because of our circumstances, but because of our God. His place personally in our lives. Daniel Gilbert is a uh, psychology professor at Harvard, and he studied the results of the, the Gallup Healthway Wellbeing Index and found, and I quote, that Americans are smiling less and worrying more than they were a year ago, that happiness is down and sadness is up, that we're getting less sleep and smoking more cigarettes, that depression is on the rise. He stated that the, the real problem is not financial, not having enough money, but something else, uncertainty. To this, this psychologist summarizes, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an up, unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Our national gloom is real enough. It isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. This is exactly what John is talking about, isn't it? What he's talking about here. The certainty we have in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we possess a certainty, a, a rock-solid, reliable, relevant certainty. Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We could have sung that song, that great old hymn, the theology, it's so profound. Now, if salvation were up to you and me, we'd fare no better than this survey, the Gallup Healthway Wellbeing Index, would we? We'd have a questionable, iffy, unsure, unstable salvation uh, and, and outlook in life in general. There would be no security. There would be no, no confidence. Why? Because you and I fail. We goof up. We fall down. We, we sin. We fall flat on our faces. And if that's what there was, all we would experience is a, 
is a spiral down into, into gloom and despair. But salvation isn't up to us, is it? It is God's work in our lives, God's work of love on our behalfs. Nothing rests on our capability. It's solely a work of God in our lives by his grace. All we're required to do is accept it by faith, to trust in him and his sufficiency. That's all that's required of us. Remember what we heard last time, verse 9? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might, what? Live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ came. God's living, dying tangible expression of love. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, when John the baptizer said that, they didn't think little lambs. They thought sacrificial lambs. Lambs that were bloody. That's what the crowd saw. And that's what John is talking talking about here, the Apostle John. And when we by faith trust him, his strength becomes ours. Even when we're struggling, we can be confident that he loves us, that he is somehow providing for our betterment. But there's another aspect of uh, God's love and its tangibility. The opposite of, uh, of confidence is what? Fear. This too, John brings up, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For, ha for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That word punishment could be rendered judgment, same word, same thought, the consequences of sin, the, 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 the tangible consequences of not living in God's love is living under God's judgment. Unbelievers go through this all the time, but believers can also go through it. You see, when you step out from under the umbrella of God's love, his, his grace, his truth. Step out from under it. You decide to, to, to reject his truth. You're, you're going to live life your way. I know what I want. I know what I like. So I'm going to live life my way. You know what his word says. You, you know what he would have you to do. But you've decided to do life your way. When you do, you remove yourself from that protective umbrella of his grace, of his love, of his truth. Now, he can bless you. But when you're living out there in the darkness, participating in all of that, there's consequences to how you live. 
sin, judgment, punishment, concepts unpopular in our day. Even so, those are the things that we need to deal with or find ourselves suffering their fate. You see, if you don't deal with these things, you can't really deal with his love either. If you don't deal with those things, you can't really deal with his love either. Sin, judgment, the cross, God's love, God's grace, becoming his child. Yes, they all go together. In the cross, our lives are redefined and redirected. We realize that we're sinners, that we're lost, and there is no hope for us other than in the cross, other than in God's love. And when we accept God's love, none of those other things apply to us. Adrian Rogers used to recount something that was told to him by an old country preacher. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you're willing to pay. Our culture in refusing to deal with sin forces itself to suffer the fate of sin. Sin equals fear. Salvation equals confidence. Sin brings judgment. Salvation brings God's love. This is why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You remember that phrase? Some of you studied it. Some of the women studied it. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that in Christ, by the way, that's a positional statement. You are either in Christ or you're in Adam. That's the way scripture portrays it. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's no in-between. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are aware positionally in Christ by faith. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements, are you hearing this theology? It is so life-changing. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's the umbrella. Walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Scripture at large tells us how, how free and confident and and fearless we become through faith in Christ. Not in and of ourselves, but in and of him. In and of him. The question we need to ask is, are you living in and of yourself, or are you living in and of him? If it depends on you and me, we have no hope. We're out from under God's grace. But if it depends on him, 
We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. So fact is, God is love. God's love is tangible. It comes with life-changing relevance. But God's love doesn't stop there with us. It also has interpersonal ramifications. If you follow John throughout this letter, when he's talked about love, he's brought up how it changes our relationships. Love changes our relationship, not just with God, but with those around us. How God's love affects us interpersonally. Yes, personally, but also interpersonally. This being the case, how? How does it redefect, re, re, how does it affect our relationships? The love of God sets the standard by which we relate to everyone else. This especially applies to our brothers and sisters in the church. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Why do you love? Because it's easy, because it comes naturally, because others are so lovable, because you're such a great person? No, you love in spite of, of who you are, in spite of who they are. Why? Because God has loved you. God has loved you personally in the person of Jesus Christ. This is not self-generated. This is generated in Jesus Christ. Isn't that an interesting thought? Max Lucado, I don't know if you've uh, ever read of anything by Max Lucado. He, he's a, a, a wonderful writer. His, his early writings I prefer to his, his latter ones. But anyway, uh, Lucado says, God's love never ceases. Never. We may spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him. He will not change. Our evil cannot diminish his love. Our goodness cannot increase it. Our faith does not earn it any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. God's love, God doesn't love us if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. And then to that he adds, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. Why do we love those around us? Because the Lord has given us his love. A love that changes us. Our, our, our whole approach to life is changed by his gracious presence in our lives. It moves us from self-centered sin to serving the Lord in our lives, from being slaves of self to being servants of God. This is heavy. Wonderfully heavy. Biblical truths that change our lives, our way of doing life. In Jesus Christ, we are to love others as God has loved us. Verse 20. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. A commandment? Whoa, wait a minute. I thought that was the Old Testament. We don't, we don't have commandments in the New Testament, right? That, that's all the law. That's all. We got great. No, 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 no. If that's what you think, you don't know the Bible. The New Testament is full of commandments. We may not be under the law per se, but there are commandments in the New Testament that you and I are obligated to live by. We are to love others as God has loved us. How has God loved us? Two things from this context. He loved us first and he loved us sacrificially. We've heard this before from John, haven't we? Yes, when it came to love, God took the initiative. He stepped out of his, his heaven, became one of us, suffered an excruciatingly painful sacrifice. And again, not because we were lovable or deserving. We were, we were ugly and vile and putrid and foul. We were snot-nosed, self-centered, and blind in our sin. Not even close to lovable. But God loves us anyway. The, the, the fact is, he, he, he loves us in our sin. It says far more about him than it does us. And this leads us to the second aspect I mentioned. In love, he took the initiative by sacrificing himself on the cross. We deserve nothing but condemnation. But he took our condemnation on himself and gives us his love. Yes, God is love. Not love as we know it or seek it or probably even hope to find it. Not love as personally taught. Not love as... uh, pronounced in films or on TV in our world, but love as it needs to be, love with the the, the divine stamp of approval on it, love that is tangible, love that is, is relevant, love that brings us face to face with the interpersonal ramifications of what love is all about, a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. Just as God has loved us, so too are we to love others. That's the point of the text today. It's short, but realize how how powerful, how relevant it is. As God has loved us, so too are we to love others. But as I said, this really isn't new. John has mentioned it again and again throughout his writings. Why is John so adamant about God's love? Why is it so important? Simply put, because it's a message that you and I have trouble hearing. We have trouble hearing it. We have trouble implementing it in our lives. God has loved you, so too are you to be loving. It's a truth we need to comprehend in and of ourselves and a truth we need to reveal to others. 
It will change our lives, and it will change the lives of those around us. Luis Martinez of ABC News told uh, about Sergeant Dennis Weichel. He was 29 when he was killed in, in Afghanistan. This was back in 2005. Weichel was uh, riding at the head of a, a convoy when they spotted some children up ahead in the road picking up shell casings, brass. They would take those shell casings and they would change them in for money. It was a way for them to earn their keep. They were recycled. Weichel and his team saw this group of kids and they piled off this lead vehicle and got the kids all out of the road as this convoy came barreling through. But Weichel looked over and one little girl had squirted out back onto the road and she was picking up brass. He ran over and he shoved her out of the way. And while he shoved her out of the way, he couldn't make it. He was crushed by a 16-ton truck carrying troops. Staff Sergeant Ronald Corbett, who deployed with Weichel, said he would have done it for anybody. That's the way he was. That's the way he was. What way are you? What way am I? What way should we be? God loved us first. And because of that, we should first love others. This is how we are to be. This is, this is who we are to be. And this is a truth. We need to remind ourselves of often. Bow with me. Father John has tried to teach us of your love. I pray we have been apt listeners, apt students, Father, that we have heard, we have seen, we've looked at our lives and we have seen how we've not been loving and how we can change how sin corrupts us and makes us self-centered, and how you want us to be anything but that, Father. I pray that your love will make a difference in our lives. But I pray it won't stop there, Father. I pray it will make a difference in the lives of other changes for your glory. Use your word and do your work in our lives through your Holy Spirit. Make this more than a, a religious experience. Cause it to be life-changing, Father. Life-determining. Life-transforming. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.